says here, Vayet Hanan el Adonai Ba'et Ahi Lemor. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Vayet Hanan el Adonai Ba'et Ahi Lemor. I prayed to Hashem at that time. As you know, the prayer basically was a prayer to enter Eretz Yisrael. As you know, Moshe Rabbeinu was told that he will not enter the land of Israel. And when that happened, he pleaded. Va'et Hanan, usually when someone prays, they say Va'et Falil, Filah. Here, he used a different word, Va'et Hanan. So that she says, I love a shalom Va'et Hanan. En Hanun bechol makom ela lashon matanat hinam. Which means, the word Vahit Hanam comes from the word Hinam. Hinam means something for free. So Vahit Hanan means he's asking something for free. What does that mean? So that she says, Af alpi Even though great people like Moshe Rabbeinu, they have they have what to ask. Meaning they have what to base their asking on. They have merit. Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest man that ever lived. He had plenty of merit that he could have come and asked Hashem, you know, after all that I accomplished in my life, from the time I was young, through the years, then... All that I did with Am Yisrael, your nation, I took care of them. I gave them, I brought down the Torah. I put up with all their difficult, their challenges. Moshe Rabbeinu has more zikhut than anybody who ever lived. Says Rashi, Allah Shalom, very interesting. And even though great people, they have great merit to come in front of Hashem and say, Look what I've accomplished. En mevakeshim me'et ha'makom ela matenat hinam. But they ask not because of their merit. They ask for a gift. For a free gift. Very interesting. Person should always remember this when they pray. Why don't great people when they ask Hashem to help them for something that they need, who doesn't need help in things in life? If you don't need help in things in life, you're in trouble. It means that Hashem forgot about you. And basically told you, you're on your own. You don't need me anymore. Let's not have a discussion. Let's not have a relationship. When a father tells a son, here's an open credit card, don't call me again. It means I have nothing to do with you. I'm not interested. So if somebody tells you, I have zero issues in my life. I don't need anything. Nothing. That kind of person needs to be really worried. That basically the creator has decided there's no chance for any relationship. 
And therefore, what's the point of giving him things that he needs to ask for, giving him issues that he needs to deal with so he can come? There's no point. So therefore, let's just give him everything. Like a child, you have a child who has hope. You have a child who has hope. So you press buttons. You take away this. You take away that. Take away his car for the day. Take away his bank account. Take away his credit card. When there's still hope. And there's still what to work with. So then you have tools to try to get him to wake up. But if at, at some point you realize that there's nothing. There's nothing. The guy's not home. Nothing you do is going to make a difference. At some point, there's nothing to take away because he's not on that level to be able to handle it. And, and there comes a point in life, and this is a very unfortunate position to be in in life, that when you deal with someone who is in real, real need, you deal with them, you tried everything, but they keep plummeting and keep going down more and more as a human being. That the only thing that could help is love. There comes a very sad point in a person's life that the only possible way to get through to them is to shower them with love. It's a very horrible state to be in. Usually, when people are healthy, when people are normal, so then you're able to push the envelope a little. You could give him a little bit of a strong word. A guy who's not doing well, you, you, you tell him some rebuke, you take away something. That you could only do with a healthy person. A healthy person is able to get a little bit beat up and wake up from it. But there comes a very sad state in a person's life where they're so down and they're so useless in the way they live their life that the only solution, there's no solution, is just to love them. And even then, you got to pray that something lands. But they're so fragile as a human being that any word you say will destroy them and destroy your relationship. Any kind of thing that you take away from them is translated as a major attack and you're done. You will have no ability to help them. Again, Baruch Hashem, most people that we know are not like that. Most people that we know still have some sort of healthy mindset to react. But there comes a very sad state in life where there's nothing to do. So you just give and give and give and pray that maybe one day it registers and they will come back and be able to, to, to accept help. That's what happens with, with, with the creator of the world. If a person tells me that he has no problems, nothing. You have no challenges, you have no issues, nothing, not small ones, not big ones. They could, it could be you have what to worry about. 
It could be that you're so fragile spiritually that they have to give you everything so that they hope for you to come back. But bottom line, bottom line, everyone's got issues. And it's a good thing. One of the, the main purpose of issues is that you, we don't walk around godless. If a person had everything in life and not missing anything, the automatic reaction would be, look how great I am, gava, arrogance, start acting in a very ugly way with people in their lives. You forget the creator of the world altogether. You forgot you're a creation. You think you're the one that made yourself. You made your money. You're so smart. You're so this. So therefore, Hashem gives us in life things that we miss in order that we should come and pray to Him. He doesn't need our prayers. Hashem doesn't need our tefillot. He doesn't need us. We need Him. But sometimes in life when your son needs something and doesn't know it, so you have to make it like you need it. You have to make it like you're going to be happy if he does well with the report card. You say, son, if you do well this year on your report card, I'm going to get you something. And the kid's working all year to make you happy. That's so silly. What does the father get out of a report card? Nothing. It's for the kid, but the kid is too immature to understand that working hard is good for him. So you got to make it like, do it for me. Hashem doesn't need out filot. We need the connection to him. So therefore, every person has in life things that they're missing. When you're missing something in life or you became aware that you're missing of something, it's a reminder that you need the creator of the world. Go pray. Go pray in the morning. Go pray in the afternoon. Not just say the words. Sincere. A real tefillah. But great tzaddikim, when they come to pray, they don't ask based on their merit. Why not? Why does Moshe Rabbeinu not rely on his merit? When you come to pray, you should never say, God, you know what I did this morning? I went to learn Torah. So therefore answer me. Hashem, you see how I gave charity yesterday? Answer me because of that. One should never do that. Why not? Answer is like this. When a person thinks that they're paid up for all the kindness that God gives them, they're making a terrible mistake. How much, how much are a pair of eyes worth? How much are they worth? I know somebody that I'm very close to, someone in Israel, and he can't see so well. He suffers literally every day. How much would you sell your eyes for? Someone says, I want to get your eyes. I need them. I have a friend in Israel. He needs them. How much would you sell your eyes? Would you sell your eyes for a hundred million dollars? I hope not. Would you sell them for a billion dollars? The right answer to that question would be no. You wouldn't sell your eyes if you're normal for hundreds of billions of dollars. They'll make you the richest man in the world, you wouldn't sell it. Pair of eyes. That's one pair of eyes. And you start to add 
all the different gifts that we have in life. And you're going to tell me you're paid up? The creator of the world gave you all of that and more. And you're already paid up because he gave some charity yesterday? By the way, he gave you the money first. Tell me, now. look what I did yesterday. You know what he'll tell you? You know what I did for you? I gave you all that money. I gave you all that wisdom. I gave you all that power. If a person stands in front of the Creator saying, you know what I've done? You know how much Torah I learned? You know how many mitzvot I do? You know how I keep Shabbat? So answer me. That is silly. It's a person living in a world of darkness. You and I have not paid up all the bills that we owe. It's like I gave you once this mashal. Imagine a person once. He's 60 years old. His mother calls him and says, Listen, son, I need to go to the doctor, but there's a problem. There's three feet of snow outside. I can't get myself out. Would you come please and dig me out? Son says, of course, mom. I love you, mom, so much. Anything for you. I'm be, I'll be right over. But wait, hold on. How much are you going to pay me? You understand? Anything wrong with that? Hey, you got a sick man. Why is he so sick? What's wrong? Answer is because you know how many bills you have open? You know, you know in the wholesale business, the guy comes to you for more goods. He says, could you give me some credit? Take out his old account. The guy hasn't paid in three years. He wants more credit. You have open bills. For 60 years, your mother has given you and you're not paid up. And you're asking now how much he's going to pay you? That is obviously foolish. Wise people are not foolish. They would never come in front of the Creator saying, look what I've done for you. Look what I've accomplished in my life. So please, I deserve to be answered. That is, if you, by the way, if you come that way, they're going to open the books and they're going to see, okay, you're, meaning if you come to me, you know, it is that way in life, by the way. God comes to you in your office and says, listen, you owe me. I owe you. I didn't know I owe you. Yeah, you owe me. Well, let's open up the file. How do I owe you? Let's see. Here are the invoices. They all paid up. What do I owe you? I bet you wouldn't give a guy money if he comes to you when he says that you owe him when you realize the opposite, if anything, he owes you. But if a guy comes to you and says, listen, you owe me nothing. In fact, I owe you. But what should I tell you? I need a gift. I need you to help me. Could you help me? That guy has a chance. If you ask someone for a gift, maybe he'll help you. But don't come asking for what you owe and what you're not owed. So it's a terrible mindset when we go to our prayers, whether it's a prayer that we do in Bet Knesset or it's a prayer that we do private. It's a terrible way to enter the conversation with, you owe me. When you say, look what I did, 
and therefore give me your saying you owe me. If you're coming with your omi, it's not a good way, not a good system. So therefore, train ourselves to realize that we don't have, we don't, we're not owed anything, number one. And number two, ask for a gift. Ask for a gift. And by the way, by the way, another point why you shouldn't ask that you're owed is because, is because when you ask for something that you did, so you take away the zechut of what you did. Because really, the right way to do a mitzvah is to do it purely. Why? Hashem told you. But when you come in and demand payment, it X's out the mitzvah that you did. At least it X's out the purity of the mitzvah. Here you are doing your beauty. Imagine, you did a favor for your mother. Beautiful. You shoveled snow for her. You got her something. And you come a day later and say, Mom, you know, yesterday I shoveled for you. Could you give me this? So basically yesterday's kindness is X'd out. So therefore, great people do not approach the tefillah that way. The right tefillah is to come in asking for a gift. Hashem, you owe me nothing. In fact, I owe you. But I need your help. Could you give me a, a gift? Could you help me? This is the right way to approach tefillah. Any other mindset is not the way to do it. And you should know tefillot are very powerful. Tefillah is a very powerful item. But unfortunately, sometimes we don't realize the power of tefillah. One of the reasons why we don't realize the power of tefillah is that sometimes in life we pray and pray and pray and we don't get answered. How many times it happened to you? You're praying for someone who's sick and he passed away. Or you're praying for someone who needs a shiduch and they're still not married. You're praying for a deal to go through. It doesn't go through. Sometimes in life, we pray and pray and pray and we don't get answered. And because of that, we have this bad feeling sometimes from prayer. Does it really work? Does it not work? Well, let me tell you, this first pasuk says a lot. Because Moshe Rabbeinu prayed 515 different types of prayers. And by the way, the end of those were no. Isn't that disappointing? You pray 515 different prayers and the answer is no. There can't be a more powerful prayer than Moshe Rabbeinu. So he didn't get answered. Why didn't he get answered? Second question, if Hashem knows he's not going to answer him, so why, why let him pray? You know, at some point he told him, after 5.15 he says, that's it. Enough. Rablach. Don't pray anymore. Why did he wait 515 prayers for that? By the way, 515 prayers is an entire year's worth, basically, of minhan arbit. Or an entire year's worth of shahrit and minhan. It's a lot of prayers. Hashem says, enough. 
I'm not answering you. You know, I would have said to Hashem, you could have told me that after the first one. What are you wasting my time? That's a big question. Hashem knows he's not going to answer him. So why would he let him continue, especially when in the end he knows he's going to stop him? You know, by me and you, maybe God doesn't talk to us. But Moshe Rabbeinu, God's going to tell him, stop, no more. That means Hashem knows already, from the get-go, not happening. The answer is no, you're not going. But we would expect the kind creator of the world to say after one time, no. Why would Hashem continue to listen to his tefillot? This question, by the way, happened, same kind of question you could ask on a very famous story. A story by Abraham Avinu, when Hashem was about to destroy Sedom, Pasuk says that Hashem told Abraham Avinu that he's going to destroy Sedom. Listen to these words. Vadonai Amar. Hashem says, Ham ani me Abraham asher ani should I hide what I do from Abraham? Abraham Abraham is going to be this powerful, awesome nation. All the people on earth will be blessed through Abraham. I know this man. I love this man. He's going to do great things for his children. First family after him. And therefore he says, I'm going to tell him. And what happens when Hashem tells Abraham that he's destroying Sodom? Starts praying. He says, God, listen. Not fair. Maybe there are righteous people in this city. We should save this city because of the righteous people. He says, maybe there are 50. Sadiqim in Sedong. Let's save the city. Let's spare them. God says, if there's 50, I won't do it. But they don't have 50. And he negotiates a little more. Another prayer. Abraham said, listen, maybe there's 45. Won't you save the city for 45? God says, yes, I would. But there's no 45. Another prayer. But God, maybe there's 40. Would you save the city for 40? Please save them for the 40. God says, I would. But there's no 40. He continues. God, please don't get angry with me. Maybe there's 30. God says, I would do it for the 30. But there's no 30. He says, okay, one more time, please. Maybe there's 20. God said, for 20, I would save the city. But there's no 20. And then he says, God, please, don't get angry. One more time, please. Maybe. By the way, this is a good example of how you pray for people that are against you. 
Sedom is the arch rival of Abraham Avinu. Not in business, in the most important business, the spiritual business. They were against everything he preached. He preached Hesed, they preached the opposite. He had Akhnasat Rahim, they made laws, make sure nobody comes into the town. And he's praying. What an amazing example of praying for people that are not like you. They're against you. He says, please, Hashem, I plead with you. Maybe there's 10. Would you save the city for 10? God says, I will save them for 10. But there's no 10. There's no minyan in the city. And that was it. Obvious question. Hashem knows exactly how many tzaddikim are in the city. And knows from the first question, from the first request, God says, let me tell you, there's no 50, there's no 45, there's no 40, there's no 30, there's no 20, there's no 10. Forget about it. Go back, go home, go take care of your guests. Go take care of your business. Why does Hashem, A, tell him? Hashem knows there's no way that this city could survive. He already knows that. And as he's praying, he knows that it's not happening. Why? Would he continue to listen to the prayers of Abraham Avinu? The answer is right in the beginning that I read to you, but now let's read it again. He says, I'm Abraham. Should I not tell Abraham about what I'm doing? But Abraham is going to be this great nation that needs a lot of birachah. What does it have to do with anything? Should I not tell him about the destruction of Sedom? He's going to be a great nation. So, what does one have to do with the other? The Magid Meduvna, Allah Shalom, says a beautiful story, Mashal. He says one time there was a man on a business trip, an older man who only had one child, a lone child, and he was traveling with a younger person who had many, many children. And they were on a business trip together. On their way back home, they found a store to buy some things back home for the family, for their kids. They walk into the store, the old man picks out a nice, beautiful, beautiful suit. So this is maybe good for my son. He's dealing with the guy, what's the size, what's your son's size? Maybe he's like me, but a little shorter. Not as wide, not as this, not as that. They try to measure hours he's spending with the guy to make sure he has the right side. His friend walks in and he says, Oh, wow, it's a beautiful suit. I love that suit. That's a nice one too. Just give me that one. Give me that one. Packages it, pays for it, on his way out. The older man says to his young friend, I don't get it. Took me hours so I can measure the size to make sure it fits. How do you walk in here and you buy the suit and you don't even see the size? He says, oh, how many kids you have? He says, I only have one. I said, okay, that's the difference. He says, I have a lot of kids. If it doesn't fit one, it'll fit the other. I don't have to waste my time measuring. Says the Magid Midubna. 
that when a person prays, the filot are like creating a cloud. When you see a cloud above you, does it always rain back down on you? No. A cloud is created and it moves and it brings the rain down to the right place in the right time. Says the Magid, the, the Tfilah, I'm saying that, he didn't say the word cloud. It's like a cloud. If it doesn't work for you, because Hashem knows, the answer's no. Like Alex said, sometimes he does answer you. The answer's no. Not good for you. How many times have you told your son, no? I hope you did. And if you didn't, you better start thinking about that. But sometimes your kid wants it. Dad, can I cross the street? No. Dad, please, why? What's the problem? It's cost coming. So what? Big deal. I don't care. Dad, please. You're so mean. No. The answer is no. Sometimes the answer is no. Moshe Rabbeinu, you're not going to Eretz Israel. You're not getting the money. Answer is no. I said, I know what's good for you. You're not getting it. But the tefillot of Moshe Rabbeinu are very useful because even if it's a no for him, it creates a tremendous merit for his children, for his family, for his grandchildren. The tefillot are like clouds. When a person prays, A, he is improving. When, when we pray, we get better. We say in the morning, When a person prays, he becomes a better person. He becomes a more humble person. He becomes a more appreciative person. He becomes a more, a person closer to his creator. Prayer makes us better. And more than that, prayer creates these clouds that are there, even if not for the person, but for his children and grandchildren, who surely can use it. Let me, ask, let me tell you a question. Let me tell you something very simple. I have to tell you something personal. I know, and I'm not talking in humility. I'm telling you what I feel every day. I know that I have tremendous siyata dishmaya in my life. I know that Hashem helps me in ways that are unimaginable. I tell you, almost every morning I come here and we're learning something and I honestly did not really prepare for what I have to say. Sometimes I do when I have a chance. But many times I don't prepare. I don't have time. And I tell you, I feel day after day, literally Hashem helps me. If I didn't see it in my life, I wouldn't tell you. I'm being 100% honest. It looks like this man was probably up all night preparing. I wasn't, I was sleeping fine. He come in, all of a sudden, there's a word, a guy asked a question, what a question, and it becomes this unbelievable thought, what an idea. Rabbi, you're a genius, I can't believe it. So many examples in my life that I know 
It's tremendous siyatat And I know also that I'm way behind on my bills. If I looked at my life from the time I was born, for at least a good 20 years, I was in the red big time. Lucky Hashem kept me alive. So 20 years of my life, zero. So I definitely didn't get siyatat from those 20 years, I tell you that. And the next 20 or 30, I'm still working. Where does that come from? You know where it comes from? Because I had a father that every morning at 5.30 in the morning, he's up early learning Torah at 5.30 every day. He would be saying Tehillim. For 90 years, he's saying Tehillim every morning, every day, half hour on Tehillim. And not just saying the words. If you ever saw, one day I'll bring it to you. If you saw Tehillim, and my father wrote a book on Tehillim, just to give you, okay? He wrote a sefer on Tehillim. His Tehillim that he read till the end of his life is a Tehillim with all notes on every word, every difficult word, every, every pasuk. There's an explanation. You saw an 85-year-old man, I remember watching, reading Tehillim at 5.30 in the morning with all his notes. Every single day. Praying three times a day with a minyan for 90 years. Those tefillot, I'm benefiting from. I definitely don't have the zechut to have such siyata dishmaya. But a father's prayers are not just for himself and they're just not when he's alive. That's what Abraham, Abraham, it's true, the prayers are not going to matter for Sedom because it's over. There's no way to save them. But why would I not tell him he's going to have a big nation, a powerful nation. They're going to need his tefillot. Let me tell him, so maybe he'll pray. But he's praying for Sedom, yes. But a prayer is never gone. A prayer is creating something. It's creating a cloud. That prayer will one day come back to rain on you, your children, your grandchildren. How many of you here today, gentlemen? I know everybody thinks they have their own zechut, why they see tremendous atzlacha in their life. And Baruch Hashem, this community is blessed with a lot of success. But let me be very open and honest with you. Nobody here is that smart to make so much money. We're not that bright. We don't work harder than the people in the street. We're not more educated than them. We have something called siyata dishmaya. We have Hashem helping us. And who knows? How many of your fathers or grandfathers tefillot or your great-grandmothers tefillot? Who knows how much it's carrying you? How much it's doing for you? When you see a person pray with all his heart and he didn't get answered, don't turn your eyes and say, oh, I don't believe it. Sometimes a person is kept alive so people could pray for them because people need the tefillot. You ever wonder sometimes? Guy goes into, God forbid, cardiac arrest and they keep him 
alive for a week, for a month, for six months. There's no hope for the guy. So why does Hashem just take him? You know, in the world of medicine out there, they're killing people every day. Doctor Baruch Hashem, we have good doctors like yourself. But in the world out there, they measure a guy, they see, okay, you know, next month, what's his quality of life going to be? Not worth it. Don't treat him, let him die. We in Am Yisrael say, what do you mean? Every minute of life is precious. What does that mean? And if you ask me, why is every minute of life precious? So I don't have all the answers this morning, but I'll give you one simple answer. If Hashem sees that one guy is supposed to pass away today, so why does He keep him going for six months? Just take him. He's not going to pray anymore. He's not going to do any more tzedakah. He's not going to make berachot anymore. He's done. So why is he still alive for six months? What the answer is, because for six months, the people are going to pray. And those tefillot are going to help them. So yes, he's doing a tremendous kindness by being there for his family so they could pray. Tefillot are very powerful. So much beracha that we have today is because of the tefillot of our parents and our grandparents. I know many people here in this room. I'm not going to start saying one by one. But you know who you are. And you may not even know who in your ancestry, grandparents, great-grandparents, that their tefillot are carrying you today. Maybe you on your own don't deserve it. Moshe Rabbeinu, of course Hashem could tell him, after prayer one, Moshe Rabbeinu, you're not going. You're not going. But where would the, go, where would the 500 prayers go? So beneficial are these prayers for Am Yisrael. Tefillah is something that makes you greater and creates a cloud to help you and others after you. Never stop praying and never feel that you're not being answered. Sometimes the answer is try harder. You need more. We need to be a little closer. And sometimes the answer is no, but continue. Because somebody that you care about is going to need those tefillot. Keep going. That's what Hashem does for us. We need to believe in our prayers. Prayer that you don't believe in is very, very weak. You have to know that the creator of the world wants to hear from us. He wants to re He told us that. He wants a relationship with us. When you don't believe in your prayers, your prayers have very little power. Where do we learn that? It says by Hannah. By Hannah, the great woman, where we learn so much of prayer from her. Imagine, Hannah was a woman, she was the mother of Shmuel. Hannah was a barren woman. She had no children. And she, it says in the Pasuk that her husband was a great man. His name was Elkanah. Every time he had a chance, he would go to pray in the Mishkan. That time they'd have a Beit HaMikdash. He would go to the Mishkan in Shiloh and he would pray every chance that he had. That's what it says. 
And then it says in, in, the, in the Pasuk in Shmuel that one time he saw his wife crying. She was in pain, no, no child. And he told her, my dear wife, why are you crying? I am good as ten children for you. At least you have me. At least you have a husband. The way I treat you, the way I honor you, the way I take care of you. Next pasuk says that Hannah got up and she went to pray in the Mishkan. It didn't say all those years that she went to pray with him. It says he went to pray. But after she told her, my dear wife, why do you cry? You have me. She says, okay, I better go start praying. What happened? And it's an hour sidurim. Why now she started praying? When she heard his tone, that, you know, I'm, I'm like 10 children for you. What do you need it? She saw a man that gave up on his prayers. They saw a man who gave up. She said, if you give up. Till then, she said, he's greater than me. Her husband was a great man. She said, better, let him, let him, let him pray. Let him go. But when she saw that he stopped believing in his tefillot, she said, I'll see you later. I'm praying myself. But the parallel, and that's where the prayer of Hannah came from. That's what we say on Rosh Hashanah. When we're praying in front of Hashem, we read that after that. So therefore, tefillah is a very powerful thing. A, don't walk in saying, you owe me. Don't say, look what I've done. I've done. Don't do that. Because if you do that, they open the books, they'll realize you've done nothing. At least not to what you're supposed to do. Don't come in that way. Ask for hinam. Ask for a gift. And keep asking. And keep pleading. It'll make you a more humble person. It'll make you a more appreciative person. It'll make you a, a person closer to your Creator. And the tefillot will be there for you and for your family. That's what Bayat Hanan means. I'd like to share with you one small thing and then we're done. That's right. Yes, yes. Oh, that's another point. Right. Amy's saying another point. Hazal tell us that one more tefillah, 516, there's no way to break his tefillah. That's why he told him stop. I mean, why did he tell him stop altogether? Because one more tefillah and he has to answer. Meaning, meaning a tefillah has so much power that it can even get past the no. That Hashem himself has to tell him, stop. Atkan. Don't pray anymore. That is the power of tefillah. But he let him go till then for why, based on what we said. One more small thing. You could leave if you have to go, don't worry. If you look in the parashah, you'll see in Perek Dalit. Very interesting. I would love if you could read it with me. It would make a difference. If you can't, you can't. But listen good. It's Perek Dalit Pasuk Bet. The very famous halakha. Terek Dalet Pasuk Bet. Lo tosifu. Listen to this commandment. Hashem says, Do not add ala davar asher anuchi metzave etchem. Do not add to the mitzvot. Don't make up your new mitzvot. Don't decide tomorrow. We think this mitzvah is a good idea. Let's do it. 
Don't do that. No new mitzvot. Don't start carrying around lemons on Pesach because you like the way the etrogim felt on Sukkot. You love the Sukkot etrogim. You say, you know what? Why not on Pesach? Hazid Pesach. Why does it have fruits too? Don't do that. Don't add the mitzvot. Easy. Nice. Belo tigre'au mimenu. And don't, don't take away from the mitzvot. Hold on. I have a question for you. You know, Torah is talking to intelligent people. To say don't add, I understand why someone might have added. Guy comes with a new idea. So you know what? I have a great idea. Let's add this one. That I understand why the Torah has to tell me don't add. But why would the Torah tell us don't minus? Of course don't minus. Well, it's the whole Torah. God says do this, do this, don't do that. Of course you can't minus. What is that? Oh, which intelligent human would have read the Torah and says, you know what? Why not? Why not the minus one? What do you mean? It says not to do it. What are you talking about? One more time. Torah speaks to intelligent people. So tell them, don't add to what I tell you. Makes sense. Because they may have some good ideas. They don't find it. They say, let's do it. That makes sense. I could see an intelligent person saying, why not to add this? It makes sense for us. But to tell someone not to take away from the mitzvah, which person thinks you could take away if God told you don't do it? Oh, listen to the words. That don't even make sense, but now after we say it'll make sense. The Pasuk ends. Lishmor to keep et mitzvot Adonai Elohechem. What does that mean to keep the mitzvot? What does that mean? What does the ending of that Pasuk mean? Don't add and don't subtract. Lishmor. So you can keep. Doesn't even make sense. If you have time to look at it, you'll see why it doesn't make sense. But the answer is like this. Which kind of person might take away from the mitzvot? You know what it is? It's the guy who says, Lishmor. If we keep this mitzvah active, then people will not be able to live life of Torah and mitzvot. There's one mitzvah that's holding them back. If you tell them to drive on Shabbat, that's the one that's holding them back. They keep thinking they're not good Jews. Why? Because everybody, every Shabbat, the rabbi gets up. You can't drive on Shabbat. And now they feel like they don't keep the mitzvot. And then they start doing all the wrong things. If you want them to be Shomer Torah or mitzvot, knock that one out. Don't talk about it. Don't include it. And then they will realize they will feel that they are Shomer Torah Mitzvot. When you have a mitzvah that people are not doing and it's stopping them from feeling religious, so what could you do? In order to keep the mitzvot, ah, the guy says, in order to keep 612, let me knock out 613, the 13th one, because at least I'll exchange for 612, if the guy feels that by doing something wrong, 
that he's not religious, so he won't even do 612. But if I tell him it's not 613 anymore, it's a new thing we came out with, 612 now, now the guy will feel religious. If he feels religious, he'll do 612. So isn't it worth it to exchange 612 for zero? Gross! Says the Pasuk, be careful. The Torah doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. Don't make your own assessment. Could you be tolerant of people who don't do 613? Yes. Could you close your eyes and make believe you didn't see? Yes. Could you handle it in a sensitive way? Yes. But to get up and say, Rabotai, it's okay. You're allowed to do this. That is one of the Averot in this week's parasha. Do not ever do that. You don't have the right to compromise the Torah that Hashem gave. Not your Torah, it's not my Torah. Torah came from Shamaim, it came to Moshe Rabbeinu. You don't tamper with that Torah. You can deal with the person in a different way. But you never say that something is kosher when it's not. You never say, you close your eyes. You let, I'll give you an example. Somebody, somebody before Erev, 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 uh, right, right on Erev Shabbat, he told me, he asked the rabbi, I'm not going to say what the issue is. Actually, I will say what the issue is. I'll tell you what the issue is. Well, we're after high issues. He told me, he asked the rabbi, this guy's a good guy. He asked the rabbi, I don't know, he says, I'm not going to tell you which rabbi, because then you'll understand, he told me, so I don't, know. I don't know what that means. He says, I asked the rabbi, and he told me that from the halakha, there's no issue whatsoever in mixing boys and girls at a young age. Mixing boys and girls. You know what mixing means? You heard of mixing? Mixing in school and in all different types. From the Torah, from the halakha, this rabbi told him, no problem. Boys and girls could mix in school, after school, in the summer, on the beach, the whole thing. Good. They asked me, is this true? I said, absolutely not true. I said, Halakha says Asur. He says, but why would the rabbi say it's okay? I said, I don't know. He says, can I, could you give me something to show him? I, he says, he, he asked him, look at this. This man, the student is asking the rabbi. He says, but I don't understand. He says, let's say for example, Hacham Obadi, do you believe in him? He says, yes, of course. He says, you think he would be okay with that? He says, absolutely. He would go to visit mixed schools. So I told, listen to me. This is Sheker, that whoever that rabbi is, you should no longer talk to him on any spiritual uh, 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 discussions. So I sent him a clear, clear, no black and white teshuvah, halavadja writes in three, four places that it's absolutely against the halakha. It's against the halakha. 
Nothing to talk about. Black and white. Against the halakha. Ah, how about you went to the schools? Of course you go to the schools. We're not saying if people don't do the right thing, you ostracize them, you tell them to go and jump in the lake. You help them. You work with them. A guy you know is not keeping Shabbat the right way. You don't tell him Shabbat is okay. You're allowed to do that. You say you don't. You close your eyes. You don't say. You know, there's certain things rabbis don't do. They don't do. The rabbis don't give a stamp on certain things. The people are doing it. They know they're doing it. We don't get involved because they're not ready to hear it yet. Where they are, they need to be left alone. That's okay. But to get up and say, it's the right thing. It's kosher. Says that, again, why was that rabbi saying that? Probably good reason. He was saying it because he wants the guy to feel that it's, uh, we're all religious. That's a terrible mistake. When it comes to Torah and mitzvot, anytime you open your mouth quoting Torah, you have a responsibility. You cannot just say whatever you want. I cannot, if I get up tomorrow morning and deal shul zera botai, I want to tell you what I think. Right away, take me and throw me in the Atlantic Ocean. Say, Rabbi, never come back here again. But, but, but I have done so much good for these people. I teach so many people. Rabbi, you don't qualify anymore. We don't care what you think. It doesn't matter what you think. We need to know what Hashem thinks. Nobody, nobody is allowed to tamper with the Torah, even with good intentions. That's what it says. You have great intentions. You can't tamper with the Torah. Do not tamper with the Torah. You want to close your eyes. You want to be smart. You want to leave, let people do their thing without bothering them. Be respectful so hopefully one day they'll understand. Yes. Yes. But never say that something is allowed when it's not allowed. Because then you're destroying the fabric of the Torah, Misinai. The very critical lesson. And by the way, that was the wisdom of the rabbis in this community. They talk about Rabbi Kassin. They talk about all the great things. They never said, you're allowed. The conservative movement in the 40s and 50s said, you know what? People are not coming to shul unless you tell them to drive. Well, no, they told them, you're allowed to drive to shul. You're allowed to drive. If you're going to shul only, you're allowed to drive. Make sure you pull up gas before. Yes, that was Philippi. That was part, that was part of the, that was part of the, the, the psak. Make sure, and make sure that you check the car, that it doesn't need any kind of mechanical work beforehand. And then you're allowed to drive only to shul and back. And there was a question in there, Sarikh Ayun, they didn't know the answer. What if it's not to shul, but to go to a Friday night kiddush? They weren't sure, so they recommended eating Friday night next to a shul. This is where you drive to shul, and then you walk to the thing. Unbelievable. You don't think that sock could have helped the Syrian community in 1950 when everybody was driving? You don't think they would have loved to see that? You don't think they would have felt more religious if they told them, listen guys, it's okay, you can drive, come to shul, don't worry, you're allowed to. You don't think they would have felt better about themselves? The conservative movement did that. They made this terrible mistake. Why they do it? Lishmor. So people could keep the mitzvot. Guess what happened to conservative today? Nothing left. Because they tried to tamper. They tampered with the Torah. Our rabbis were brilliant. Our rabbis? No. 
and they, let, they live with it. They close their eyes. I'll see you tomorrow morning. I'll see you in the afternoon. They didn't tell the guy, come for class at 3 p.m. They knew he's not coming. They didn't ask him. They closed their eyes, but they would never get up and say, you're allowed. Because once you tamper with the Torah, the Torah is gone. If you take one mitzvah away, you lost 613. Have a wonderful day. Shabbat Shalom.